0: Welcome everybody and as you my regular listeners know my viewers hello I'm always delighted to uh, have my guests on and today is uh, no different I have the the wonderful and brilliant Mary Shea PhD uh, no less forgive me Mary I forgot to put that on your uh, your your thing here behind me and um, I'll be following Mary for a while uh, Mary's now the uh, global innovation evangelist at outreach we'll get into outreach in, in a minute and then before that um at forester in terms of an, an analyst they're producing some amazing content kind of where the world of sales and marketing is um uh, is going and your phd mary is um in mus- musicology and the i f-, f i'm gonna get it wrong f ethnomusicology yeah. which is a first for um uh for me as well and of course our paths crossed um with our mutual uh, mutual friend kate at lately ai in terms of what lately does with uh, the neuroscience of music so we may or may not get into um uh, get into that so i'm going to kick things kick things off before we get into the who what why when um where, but what, what caught my attention, Mary, and those of you, if you go and find Mary's profile on LinkedIn, which I'll put on, I'll put at the end of this show, um, her banner image at the top is Revenue Innovators, noun, a new code, cohort of revenue leaders who put buyers at the center of their strategies, who arm their sellers with the most innovative sales technologies, and who over index on data rather than intuition to inform their business decisions. But I think there's a lot to un, um, uh, unpack there. But before we get into that, who, who, Mary, who, what, why, when, where? Thank you.
1: <laughs> wow. Well, that was quite an introduction. Thank you so much for having me on the show today, Alexander. I'm happy to be here. And um, Kate is a, a good friend of mine. I actually got a chance to know her probably maybe a little bit over a year ago. And I'm just mm-hmm. fascinated with the company and the technology and her personality as a uh, as a, as a wonderful leader and and technologist. So it's great to have those mutual connections. I wish I could tell you I had a, I was a doctor of revenue, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I wish I could say there was a strong connection between my PhD and what I do today. And there's a little bit of a connection as you, as you sort of uh, pulled out that thread. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who are in the business world actually have started with PhDs in the humanities and particularly in technology, because there's a strong connection between um, that light, right brain, right brain and left brain connection, where you know music is both very much an art and a science, and um, technology is as well. So um, that that's a little bit about my academic background. I was a professional musician, a classical oboist for the first few years of my career, traveled all over the world and played in a number of different orchestras, and then got my PhD in musicology and ethnomusicology. And musicology is the study of Western art music. So what we would typically think of as classical music. Mm-hmm. And then ethnomusicology is really interesting. It has its roots in anthropology. So it's really looking at the social science aspects of music. And so in ethnomusicology, we look at musics that are passed down primarily in oral tradition, not written down mm-hmm. okay. and passed from one generation to the next. So I learned a lot about how to play the Chinese oboe. Um, the the balinese gamelan, some different types of drums from ghana and here i am today as an evangelist at outreach so yeah
0: i was gonna say, probably, that, that's, that's we that's have to sit idea. down
1: for dinner to have a have a much longer conversation about how all of that transpired. but that's the short story
0: <laughs> that's that's Fascinating, um, and some instruments I've never heard of as well. So I'll need to Google those after after this. So for um, as as I mentioned before, we kind of came on online, we're chatting in the green room. As I as I talk about, imaginary green room. Um, my background is it's it sales through and through, but it's primarily on um, professional services, so lawyers, accountants, and con- and commercial real estate. So for those that are listening that haven't heard of outreach, would you mind just kind of giving a high level elevator pitch of, on what outreach? is all about. Sure.
1: Thanks so much. So Outreach is a sales technology platform, and we're one of the leading providers and platforms within the overall sales technology marketplace right now. Mm -hmm. And what Outreach does is it helps sellers of all shapes and sizes and also revenue leaders and sales managers manage the day-to-day activities of the go-to-market organization. Mm-hmm. So we help sellers in particular manage their omni-channel cadences and interactions and orchestrate those interactions with their customers and prospects. And you mentioned you have a large following in ProServe. Well, um, you know, all of, all of the folks that actually interact with customers and prospects need to do it in a variety of different channels, whether mm-hmm. that's social, whether that's LinkedIn email, whether it's email, whether it's Um, traditional calling or remote meetings like this. And so our system, which has embedded AI and automation, helps anyone manage those interactions, automatically extracts all of the human behavioral activity between Mm -hmm. buyers and sellers and uploads it to the CRM. So it takes the sellers out of the um, data entry game, which nobody really liked, and actually Mm -hmm. nobody really did. (laughs) And and then it uses um we have embedded ai that will help organizations derive insights from large data sets mm-hmm. and so that's at the highest level we do a lot of other things we're we're a multi product platform so we have uh, digital coaching capabilities we have the ability for buying teams and selling teams to come together and create mutual action plans and um, we've got some other news which i'm not uh, at liberty to disclose but okay very very soon we'll we'll be announcing um, some additional capabilities for the revenue leaders both marketing and sales and sales ops
0: revenue ops exciting it seems like something's happening every week with uh, outreach in terms of what you and the broader team and Scott and so on are, uh, are, talk- are talking about which is why you know, love following what you're um, uh, what you're doing so thank you uh, thank you for that high level uh, high level over you and that kind of sits within kind of the what I think sales engagement platforms is that kind of a fair are you in that space or is that not yeah, fair it's
1: interesting because um the technology uh landscape right now is really in a dynamic place mm-hmm. where we're seeing significant consolidation and also category creep from one category to mm-hmm. another so I'll give you a cheeky answer um we started out as as sales engagement which really has you know, when you think about that nomenclature or that terminology, it really makes people think of front of the cycle reps and high velocity sales. And we do so much more. We're, we're, um, abling, uh, sellers across the entire buying cycle. But as you start to think about the extraction of all this data,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, we're really going into intelligence as well. So if you think about activity and consumption of content, all of that, um, can be extracted and, um, Used to derive massive amounts of intelligence and insights, so I'm starting to call the category engagement and intelligence, and we'll see if I can get the analysts in the market to follow me.
0: <laughs> engagement and intelligence—you heard it—you heard it here first on the Death of a Salesman um, podcast. So, if, if we kind of break down, going back to the the, the revenue innovators, if I look at where, I, I guess for me, 2015 is where I started to see. This concept of sort of sales enablement, if you will, then it kind of seemed to morph into sales sales effectiveness. Then we kind of morphed into s- sales ops. Then it became revenue operations. Now it seems to be moving into rev- revenue intelligence, as you um, as you t- t- talked about it. There is it all fundamentally the same thing. This kind of this, I guess it's from my perspective, it's the glue which kind of brings sales and marketing together? Or are we actually, you know, to your point, creating a new category? Are we creating another layer on top of a layer on top of a a top of a layer, which sometimes is what it (laughs) is, what it feels like. And are we overcomplicating things in what we're trying to do here?
1: Wow. There was a lot in that statement question. I'm going to pull up for a few moments. You know, I think you almost have to start before 2015 when you think about the sales technology landscape and, um, you know, prior to 2015, the, the the only show in town was CRM customer yeah. relationship management, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, CRM uh, Salesforce went public in 2004. I think yeah. they went out at 11. They're trading well over uh, $200 and have a 200. Uh, I think it's a $200 billion valuation, yeah. if I'm correct. So prior to 2015, like I said, organizations would buy CRM, they check that box and we're like, yeah, we have all the sales technology we need. But the yeah. challenge was that CRM was never actually designed for sellers, mm-hmm. how they go about their day to day activities, what their workflows and their processes look like. And as you know, probably as much as anyone else, nobody used it. <laughs> and It's been the bane of, of <laughs> sellers existence for so long, right? <laughs> why don't I, I'm always like, why are people shocked that sellers don't use CRM? Well, it has nothing to do with how they go about their work. And yeah. it has everything to do with activity tracking, pipeline management, stuff that managers and executives care about. But interestingly enough, in 2015, you started to have these new technologies that were geared exclusively for the seller to help them be more effective and efficient. And some of those uh, initial players were, you know, Yesware and ToutApp and others. And they got some of the really big early investments. And I think 2015 was the time that you could really say the sales technology landscape or marketplace started to be built. Very similar to what happened with marketing automation back in Mm -hmm. 2009. We had a ton of really innovative point solutions that ultimately consolidated until some of the bigger players that we know today, Um, whether it's Engagio or or, all all of the big players that we know. So It's really interesting. I think where we are now is that you have maturation with some of the smaller point solutions. Mm -hmm. And now we're in a world where businesses are scaling back. They're having smaller, more nimble sales teams Mm -hmm. and their boards and senior executives understand that automation and AI can bring tremendous lift to the sales organization. And so now you're starting to see some of these point solutions consolidate into platforms, which I actually believe... Companies like Outreach and and others, you know, whether it's Zoom Info or yeah. Sixth Sense or even Gong, you know, we are these are the the platforms of the future that are going to be that single pane of glass that everyone on the revenue team uses. And I don't want to hurt Benioff's feelings or anyone, you know, who <laughs> who just spent seven million dollars on CRM because I have those conversations all day. <laughs> CRM is still worthwhile and, and useful. It's just going to play a different role as we get deeper into the 21st century, more like you know, when ERP shifted from the front office to the back office. And so I think CRM will be some sort of a customer database, CDP, what have you, mm-hmm. while these other platforms that are really designed for how revenue teams work will um, come to the forefront. And it's an amazing, exciting time. And don't expect it to get um simpler to understand anytime soon
0: <laughs> i i'm I, I i agree with you and i think that i i feel the the same and i always get frustrated when people go this crm system is, is crap they not very good it's like "Well, wow, second. fundamentally it's, it's a dumb innate piece of software it's the outputs that you're trying to achieve and the inputs to get to those outputs and it's a management tool it's seen it's always been seen as a management tool i need to do this because they just want you know stats 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 however I feel that uh, what I'm seeing is that CRM is having a renaissance, but because it, it's 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 the the silo, the brain, if you will, of the organization. But like absolutely then it needs to be on top of that. You mentioned kind of the CDPs, and it's fascinating looking at kind of where Microsoft is going in the CDP world and going, look, we if we fundamentally don't care where your data is, if it's in Salesforce, if it's in this, that, if it's Facebook right. ads, we'll bring it all into one place. So irrespective of what role you have within the organization you can access that that data and then going on your on um, your, your strap line and tagline on your, your LinkedIn profile you then over index on that data and start to make better more informed decisions and I, I I warned you I'd go and refer to Seth and what Seth talks about from uh, from Forrester, Seth Mars, if you're not following him please do you know what Seth and the team are now talking about is that from a sales perspective that dynamic guided, selling which actually reflects on a blog post that i read in 2017 by an author's name forgive me i can't i can't remember but she talks about um does your do you need to hire basically data scientists in your marketing team and it was a former linkedin exec who's now it's um at cisco and she basically i think she tweeted something along the lines of i paraphrase any marketing but Bear in mind this is 2017 any marketing exec that goes into um a data-led board meeting and starts the sentence with, I think, will probably be <laughs> asked to leave. That's back in 2017, right? And only now in 2021, with a global pandemic, which, fingers crossed, was starting to come through the other side of this to accelerate all of this and prove across all industries that some of the perceptions of what could be done can be done in a different, more more effective effective way. You know, Seth was saying there's still five years to go before he believed that will start to see the real gains in all of this. And I'm going to say something not controversial, but the automation AI aspect, I feel, is potentially going to create a possible challenge for sales organizations. Because sales people, again, careful what I say here, are we relying on this too much just to automate without thinking about what we're actually doing? and? You know, I was on a brilliant podcast with Marcus kalki last week. He's talking about buyer safety. LinkedIn is now talking about buyer, being buyer first, buyer centric, all this. Oh, 20 years ago, Mary, when I was in the world of recruitment, all I could do was bash the phones because that's all we had. I was told you got to put the, you got to put, put the, the buyer first. So why are we still talking about that today? And I'll shut up in a minute because this is about <laughs> you and not me. And then, in the you quoted in your uh, your interview with LinkedIn, which you um, you posted uh, last uh, last week, around this discrepancy between sellers believe they are taking a buyer first approach, but <laughs> the buyers have a very different perspective on this.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, so again, so many different things to cover here, but y- you know, we've been talking about the buyer first for a long time, but honestly, Alexander, we've also been talking about marketing and sales alignment for a hundred years too, and that's (laughs) never happened, right? (laughs) So I guess maybe it's the journey, not the destination. We'll Mm -hmm. we'll have to see. Someone, when I posted on uh, uh, the LinkedIn um, article or interview that I did, and Mm -hmm. and the data point is that 65% of sellers believe they're approaching, um, they're selling motions with buyer centricity, but only 25% of buyers actually Agree. Yeah. That's a massive discrepancy, as he said. And someone said to me on LinkedIn, you know, what's going on? Are sellers delusional? And I don't think they're delusional. I think, you know, they um, are doing things the way they've always done things, right? Mm-hmm. With, with sales, it's about getting a process, being efficient, refining that process, iterating on that process. And I'm um, trying to optimize the amount of time you have in each day mm-hmm. because as a seller, you know, There's never enough time in the day. So um, I think it actually starts with crafting buyer centric strategies. I don't think it's all the sales people's fault. Mm -hmm. It really starts with how are you thinking at the highest levels in your organization about going to market? And are you putting the buyer at the center of everything you do from your strategy to your execution? One example would be, you know, we all have sales stage milestones in our CRM, right? So we can allocate resources so we can forecast. So, you know, we have some predictability to the business. Well, why don't you call them buying stages? And why don't you rebrand those to to indicate how the buyer would wanna engage with you at that stage if they were really interested in your product or service. And then you have compensation plans that are actually driving activities that will push the seller away from the buyer rather than bringing them in. So the buyer has evolved and, and as Seth and his cohort over at Forrester and Forrester decisions group, they're saying now we can't even say the buyer, we have to say buying groups because there's yeah. really typically the average B2B sale has 11 people involved on the, on the mm-hmm. short end, yeah. and up to 22 people involved for a more complex sales. So I guess I should say, I submit, we stop saying the buyer and say, you know, buying collectives, buying mm-hmm. groups and, um, so there's a lot of different things that go into it versus sales. Sell- salespeople just aren't um, focused in going to market with a buyer-centric mentality. Compensation plans drive sellers to align with your sales strategy and your corporate strategy. And I've seen so many, you know, really shitty comp plans. <laughs> Sorry, I hope it's okay. Um, it? <laughs> that are you know focused on quantitative metrics because the, yeah. those those metrics allow your most senior executives to gain comfort. By doing mathematical computations to understand if they're going to hit their numbers or not not to deliver a great buyer experience so i think i've gone on a tangent i'll get off my soapbox <laughs>
0: you, you haven't <laughs> and interestingly um the the podcast with marcus uh, last week he's very much of the same the same view and you know all the research out there that, that actually shows that money just in life, generally, is one of the worst levers to actually get someone to do something because it just starts to generate and create the wrong <clears throat> the wrong behaviours. And it, it takes me back to when um, I was doing a course with the Association of Professional Sales, which is a UK-based um, uh, organisation recently merged with the Institute of Sales Management, I believe. And there was a chap from Oracle there, so, you know, senior leader from Oracle, going, "We tried to get our Oracle reps to sell the smaller deals." But were more profitable but because it was the the massive you know numbers that got the headlines and got the you know the the notice of the um the leadership team even if those weren't necessarily profitable or it didn't make any money at all the reps still lent towards that even though they could have earned more comp going down that 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 other yeah. That other piece. And I've been there, I've done it in my recruitment days. I remember smashing my target and I was, you know, leader for like 10, I think 10 weeks within, um, within my business. And then I wasn't. And then all of a sudden I was the forgotten child again. And it's like, Oh, that was, that was fun while it's, um, while it lasted. And you touched on the, we've kind of always done it this way. And it's interesting because again in my world and professional services we see a lot of that um the way that partners are um remunerated is always a big bone of contention in kind of the nlp uh NLP okay. structure because of what that um uh what that that drives and it reminds me of a podcast I did with Justin Michael, who I think you know. Oh yeah,
1: we're really friendly. I, I love Justin, super Perfect. brilliant guy.
0: Excellent. So Justin, likewise, I've, you know, his, his book's out, Tech pad Sales and all yeah. this kind of things. Did a podcast with him and um, a guy called Patrick Joyce. And they were talking about, rather Patrick was actually saying, if he's starting from scratch in kind of SaaS world, he would create uh, a cohort of a team. So there's your RevOps person or rev, rev intelligence. That's your SDR. That's possibly your AE. There's your marketing person, and maybe a data person. That's your number. That's what I need you to re- report back to me in twelve months' time. Go figure it out. Go yeah. do what you need to do and make that work. We will make sure you've got the best in class technology to support you on that. You you know you touched on um, Zoom Zoom Info and kind of the third party data to help you make better more informed decisions about who to target when to target how to have those um uh those those conversations and get away from you know again you touched on it in your uh, in your interview the kind of the 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 mqls the marketing qualified leads are are not fit for purpose and this and that because sales and marketing aren't talking to each other and then you also touch on the fact that there is this challenge that even when you get a sales leader and a marketing leader in the same room (laughs) They're both kpi differently they're both driven by different outcomes so this is for me and this is why i was really keen to get you on and kind of hear your side of the coin from a tech play because from the consulting world that i come from this is as much the human transformation people change play enabled and supported by technology
1: yeah i mean again it, it's it's so interesting, the sales and marketing piece. One of the things that I think is happening is you're seeing buying groups, buyers are doing more and more on their own. So there's a lot mm-hmm. going on with self-discovery. There's a lot yeah. of information out there. There's digital content to download. There's podcasts like these, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of other things. And the sellers are getting less and less direct time, yeah. You know, yeah. sort of influencing those discussions. Simultaneously, the technology is maturing such that we, if used correctly and with the right methods and motivation, you can go to market in such a smart way. You mm-hmm. understand your buyer before you've had that first interaction, what they care about, what they worry about, what, what business affiliations they are part of, what the last podcast was that they've been on. And you can really tailor that interaction. And I found that when sellers do that, they get a really, really positive outcome. When they don't, they don't get a positive outcome. The other thing I'm seeing is that organizations that are willing to experiment and and look at innovative ways of teaming up. um, A lot of companies are actually looking at pods now, which is exactly like what you said. You've got a marketing person, an SDR type of person. Mm -hmm. You've got maybe your full cycle rep and then um, a post-sale person. And they're working together as a team and they can be very, very responsive to client and prospect needs and they're dialed in together and they're all gold with the same goals and mm-hmm. that's where that's one of the things that I think can help deliver a much more uh, buyer centric experience
0: and, and I and I, I I guess then that's then you know a CRM system cannot do that salesforce microsoft cannot provide that environment but you then layer it with an outreach on on top of that with the you know the data insights and so on and so, I don't doubt that Salesforce and Microsoft will, and maybe one of them will, buy you. Who knows? Um, <laughs> in terms we might of, be
1: too expensive
0: <laughs> in terms in terms of that, and that that yeah. then, for me, also, dare I say this, comes to a skills gap, possibly, in terms of actually being enabling having the right people to understand what to do with this and it's not just a let's feed it into into the the machine and um, it reminds me of a UK cartoon when I was a kid called Big Bertha um, where you know you put something in one end and a different kind of toy came out the um, uh, the other end Um, you do need to work with the technology and that's Kind of on that, that point where you touch on the over-index on data rather than intuition to inform their business decisions From, and again the world that we that we operate in you know if i look back to the experience i've gained i'm what 42 43 now um versus when i was my straight out of you know university into smashing the phones and recruitment days 20 years ago i do feel that there there is an element of that gut instinct which still has a place but is can be supported by either validating that gut instinct or you go okay i know i've got all the 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 data here i'm kind of i think a doctor is a good example of this i know i've got all the data here but there's just something in me that tells me my 20 30 years of being a doctor you know a doctor in whatever the the medicine is i feel it's it's this so for me I don't believe that we should become too reliant on technology. And you touched on this in your, in your, in your interview, because we will then lose that buyer first approach in my view.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it like anything in life, it's balance, right. And mm-hmm. moderation. And so when, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but when you and I were selling and we were out there pounding the phones and doing what we did, um, you know, we definitely were more focused on, on, on the art and sort of mm-hmm. the quantitative metrics, right? So vo- it was a, it, volume. If you, yeah. if you reach the right volume of activities, you're going to get the right outputs on your pipeline. Mm-hmm. Today, we're in a different place. And now, you know, we do have the tools and we do have the data, which can create efficient, predictable growth. Mm-hmm. And organizations at the leadership level, as well as the rep level, do need to lean more into the science of, of, of the profession in my view, but the art never goes away. I mm-hmm. mean, people value human connections. People want to look that seller in the eye when they make a big B2B purchase. You're putting your, in some cases, your professional reputation yeah. on the line when you bring in a new vendor or new technology mm-hmm. or a new solution. And so the, the AI, is really designed to give you options, right? Mm -hmm. Here's a couple of different recommendations. You could do X, Y, and Z based on the insights that we've gathered from the algorithms we created and the data we churned out. Mm -hmm. And you as a seller need to apply your experience, your expertise, your intuition, what have you, to choose the right next step. So I don't ever see a world where, I mean, certainly with you know, very, very high velocity sales, you could you see a world where it's completely automated. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the types of sales that we're talking about, pro serve or, you know, large technology outsourcing or whatever it is, yep. bigger enterprise deals, I don't ever see a world where the technology replaces a salesperson. It just amplifies what they're able to do. It creates better efficiencies, gives them greater scale, and gives them insights from which they can decide on how to proceed. And that's, you know, sort of. That's the brilliance of the role, and I don't think that should go away.
0: I'm very glad that you um, you, you said that because I and I, I fully admit, you know, in my earlier days when I started out doing doing my um, uh, my thing, I was out there going, is you know, is are the SD, is is the world of the SDR kind of dead? Is cold calling dead? Cold calling very much isn't dead. It all depends on your markets. There isn't kind of one size right. um, one size fits all. Yes, it's interesting in terms of you know, the research that is now coming out in a post-pandemic world. I think with McKinsey, uh, December 2020, this was when they 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 published this, 3,500 buyers of B2B services and 15% of those respondents said they'd happily spend over a million dollars on a product or service in a virtual environment. Now, that's not saying I don't necessarily want to meet someone, but I don't necessarily have to physically meet that someone yeah. Exactly. I in I can do it in uh, in, in in this in, in this environment, and it's interesting. I'm going to Kind of go a little bit kind of left field, but certainly the pro serves FS space, purpose, ESG is now coming into how organisations act and behave. And you know, some of the larger law firms recognise they can't put a partner on a plane first class to fly halfway around the world for a one for a one hour meeting, which they then yeah. charge the client for. Yeah. carbon footprint all this kind of stuff it doesn't really kind of send out that um uh that that message and your your, your play on the, the the science versus the the art reminds me of um the brilliant Fallon fatami um who set up node and then she recently sold to um to sugar where mm-hmm. again if you put Fallon fatami into youtube's little quotable insights you know she said the the science is only as good as the art of of sales However, absolutely to, to, to your point, and you know, I, I will st- stand down on my kind of views on that, is that if I look at the art of sales that I learned then versus what I've learned now, they are two, it's very, very different because to your point around the omnichannel approach, people can access much more, much more information and, uh, and so on. So I, I believe we're in, we're in for, I believe, really exciting exciting time it's just this kind of tension i f- i fear at the moment with the narrative which we, we are seeing and you know, out there in terms of buyers don't want to talk to sales people sales people yeah. crap all this but it becomes almost for me i feel a self-fulfilling prophecy that if we keep kind of saying this rather than kind of what you're saying it's just take a step back from all of this and if we're going to be truly centric, <clears throat> let's focus on the buyers and
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about some of the best salespeople you've interacted with, they add so much value. I mean, they're consultative, they're advisors, they help you figure out how to fund, you know, a large solution. There are people that you take from one company to the next when you move. Sometimes there's more loyalty to the actual brand of the seller than, you you know, the the service or product you're buying. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there is a lot of hype out there. And I think there's also a lot of hype about this in-person or mm-hmm. um, you know, digital virtual. And it's funny, like I'm actually calling this what you and I are doing. This is in-person, I'm in-person, yeah. we're in-person. Yeah. So I'm actually starting to say on-site mm-hmm. versus remote or virtual because I think it's a better, better way of describing it. And I don't think that these on-site meetings will go away. Um, what we are seeing is that you know, as your digital natives are now economic decision makers, not Mm -hmm. just influencers or pulling together the initial list or what have you, these folks and and even the Gen Zs that are coming up behind them are extremely comfortable leveraging technology to have um, good, uh, efficient and authentic connections. And Mm -hmm. so maybe the first five to six meetings get done in a more efficient way and then you do go and actually meet in person. So again, it's, I don't think it's an all or nothing, Alexander. I think we have to, you know, help the market understand we don't need to over-index like entirely in one direction. The the other thing I think that's really kind of interesting about the on-site versus the virtual digital is that when the pandemic first hit, I think it was corporate visions did a study that said 60 to 70% of B2B salespeople did not believe they could be successful if they couldn't work the room. Yeah. And then I think by January and February, we realized, oh, okay, you know, people actually can sell and, yeah. you know, you, you get your circle light and you're, you know, set things up and you can do <laughs> synchronous and asynchronous videos to help you. Now, I think it's all about hybrid and hyper hybrid. So mm-hmm. you, you may go to a meeting, Alexander, and you may actually have one or two people in the room, but then you've got 20 up on. The monitor who are zooming in because now buying groups are highly distributed so again i don't think it's an all or nothing um situation
0: uh, likewise and um agreed my wife works one of the big four um big four consulting firms and she actually said they had one of their kind of first proper hybrids client meetings where she was in the op- in the office in in town in london and she said she was quite surprised because the technology worked. It all works really, really well. And it was all, you know, it started everyone had to had a very, very tight agenda. Everyone had to know kind of what, you know, what, what, what's what. Um, so I, I'm with you. I also get frustrated in terms of putting any kind of word in front of selling. It's just sales and marketing for the 21st century. We're just having to just do it in a different yes. way. But we're all still trying to achieve the same end goal you know fundamentally as to what i was doing 20 years ago you were doing 20 years ago in the world of sales which is you know create a, a solution for your client that that works it's just a different way more efficient way of um uh of doing this now i want to kind of move again we 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 touched on this before we kind of came on on air i don't know why i say that because this isn't like but it makes me feel better about myself the i i um you know, the world of, kind of professional services, so I'm gonna include FS in this as well. So financial services, mm-hmm. and pro service, so big banks, um, traditional ins- institutions, we could probably lump insurance in there as um, as well. I truly believe that what outreach is, is doing, you mentioned gong in terms of kind of the voice, um, the world of voice is, as well, absolutely have a play in that industry, I think it's going to be a very brave um, organisation to, to make that leap just as they're trying to get their head around this thing called CRM is actually quite, you know, quite important getting people to use it. But then you look at PwC's story with, with Salesforce and the global rollout, with it, the rollout they've done um, done there with, with IntraHive. Based on, you know, what you're seeing, what you're hearing in the role of your, you know, global innovation within, within Outreach, what what are you hearing or seeing, kind of on on the ground, as it were, within the professional services um, space?
1: Yeah, it's a great a great point, and you know it's no surprise that Outreach and and many of the other technology players that we've discussed in this conversation have started out selling into the technology space, mm-hmm. into SaaS, um, SMBs, and we are uh, at Outreach really. taking a concerted effort to uh, work with enterprise customers now, Mm -hmm. and we are adapting the platform to have the right types of uh, functionality that's going to serve that level of customer. Some of it includes compliance or, Mm -hmm. you know, other types of uh, more uh, customized workflows and so on and so forth, but uh, those organizations are absolutely going to need these types of platforms as well, and when I was at Forrester, I worked with a number of FinServe uh, customers, namely, I would say the uh, the ones with the big advisor networks or yeah. financial advisor networks, where they really um, needed to be digitally activated to engage effectively with their end customers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the one thing that the, that the global pandemic has has really showed us, well, it's showed us a lot of things, but one of the things is that the companies that were digitally prepared were able to adapt and pivot very quickly with very few hiccups. The more traditional businesses that were laggards who strategically decided, you know, we don't need to make all these investments in the technologies, mm-hmm. were really struggling and it took them longer to kind of bounce back. And as we look at the next normal, and I'm really intentional about saying that because I don't believe we're going back. And you mentioned, you know, PwC and McKinsey and a number of these other companies that are also doing great thought leadership, we're all saying the same thing, that even if you have a traditional business, you're probably going to have a fairly distributed workforce. We're going, we're embarking on a talent shortage, not just at re- restaurant and, and, and frontline workers, but also within uh, the selling and business professions. And the, one of the first questions that people ask in the interview is, do I have a flexibility to work from home? So, We're in a world where there's going to be highly distributed interactions between sellers and buyers, and organizations need to ensure they have the right technology systems for their employees to engage effectively in that environment.
0: Awesome. So I'm glad to. I'm glad to. I'm like literally every pro serve firm that I talk to, especially if they're kind of in kind of CRM review. I'm like, are you considering an outreach or you know sales loft and and, and so on? And the, the, none of them have heard of you. None of them have heard of this kind of environment in this world that 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 they are uh, that they're they're in. Um, conscious of time, uh, Mary. Uh, this has been. Awesome. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? Where's the, where's the best people for, for people to reach out and find you and start a conversation?
1: Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity, Alexander. So I'm really accessible, believe it or not, even though I'm super, super busy. <laughs> so I'm very engaged in LinkedIn and mm-hmm. I will respond and send reports and give you advice or, you know, just uh, have a nice social connection. Also very involved. Uh, I'm active on Twitter, Mm I uh, have my revenue innovators podcast with Harish Mohan, my colleague. So we drop a new podcast every couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. If there's any innovators out there uh, in the revenue, uh, field in ProServe or in your world I'd love to hear from them um, what they're doing to kind of break glass in their organization we'd love to feature them on the podcast and I'm out there at all of the big industry events I'm doing a keynote at the b2b sales and marketing exchange in Boston that's actually my first analog event um, and awesome. I want to say almost 20 months so <laughs> yeah it's nuts so I'm super super excited and i um, love to talk to any of your listeners
0: Awesome. Fantastic. And uh, an amazing human being. She's just popped into my head from um, PwC, who was part of the Salesforce rollout. So um, I will, uh, I'll message her privately and see if I can connect to you, connect to you. Oh, I would
1: love that. I would love that.
0: um, uh, An interesting conversation. Mary, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really, um, uh, really, really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Alexander. Hope to meet you soon in London.
0: Absolutely.